Welcome to the Sanctus NYC Message Podcast. We are the young adult community of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, built on the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Join us today as we look to God to lead us into the fullness of the life that he has for us. So uh, I'm actually really, really grateful. Like Lou said, uh, I've been blessed to participate in a variety of different things with you guys over the last few months. I was here at the retreat last year. Um, to be back again is, is a blessing to go from leading a cabin to being able to now share something uh, from God's word that hopefully will encourage you. One of the greatest things and burdens on my heart over the last few years is, is for the young generation. I'm not entirely older than you guys, but there's something in this world to see young people come together. When I was in the room and watching last night and just observing like you guys worshiping and just your hearts pouring out to the Lord, like that stirred something in me. Like this, you guys are the next generation. The teens are one thing. Children, uh, my, my children's age are another, but like you're the ones who are leading charge going forward. If you guys don't realize that. What happens with you dictates so much of where the church stands or falls because the church is losing people on the daily. And so you as young adults, how you reciprocate the way God has poured love into your life back out into the world shows whether or not the church is going to survive in this generation. And so the greatest burden is that you don't come to retreat to feel, yes, this is a great two, three day weekend Friday nights are great, but it's like, no, every single day of your life, it's Jesus. Like, you want to live this out because there is nothing else in the world that makes any sense. And that the world would get to observe and witness that. It's not that, okay, you come back, you're like, man, I was on a really great retreat. They had a great opening act, and they had a good fun time at the talent show. No, I met Jesus. I, I met him before, but on that retreat, I met him again in such a way that it moved in my heart, and there's nothing else. Like, I just want to serve him every day, not even every day, every single minute of every single hour. He consumes my life. That's my prayer for you this morning. And so... I thought about it when Luke asked me to, to share something, and then he told me I was going to share Saturday morning. I said, man, how can I choose something that will ruin their whole weekend? Um, just, just destroy them in such a way. But no, God uh, wants to speak to, I think, all of us, including my own heart. A few years ago, uh, I was at the uh, Sanctus Friday night, and I shared a bit of my testimony maybe about a month ago. I'm not going to go into detail it again, but um, I, I, that song we sang two songs ago, like I'm, I wasn't worthy of God's mercy and grace. Like the stuff that I did, I, like I destroyed, legitimately I destroyed certain lives, people's lives that were around me. Like I lived in such a way of selfishness that I didn't care about how I affected your life. Like it was me and only me. And I did things to, to really disrupt a lot of people around me and my own wife and my family and so forth. Um, I came back, I fell away after serving the Lord for a few years, and then I went complete prodigal, came back to the Lord. And as I began to serve the Lord in my early years, there was a friend of mine, um, and we became really close. We bonded really fast. He and I identified it over uh, certain issues that we were struggling with, and we, we connected really good. And um, he invited me one day, he calls me on a Saturday, I remember, and he says to me, hey, I'm going to this event. And I think I have an extra ticket. I think it would be a real blessing if you joined me. Like, it, it, it's one of those things that I think you would, you would find some enjoyment in. And so he was from a world, he was trying to be a filmmaker. He had produced one film and he was trying to build up his network base. So he's like, look, I'm going to network. And so it's going to be on the West Side Highway. They got this yacht they're renting out. And there's going to be a DJ. There's going to be models. There's going to be all people from all industries. And they're going to come. And then we're going to, you know, they're going to just, just an opportunity for us to connect with some people. And so I had worked in real estate prior to that. And so he kind of knew that this maybe was part of my background. I would do, I would enjoy doing something like this. And so when he sent me the, the little flyer for it, he texted it to me. Um, I, I called him back and I said, look, I, I can't go to this. And he's like, why not? And I said, it's just, it doesn't sit right with me. There's, there's something, because of my past, if I go to this, it's, it's not going to do well with my soul. 
I know there's going to be temptation there that is not going to draw me in the right direction. And so I think even for your sake, I just encourage you, like you should think about this in a way that is this, you know, is this going to be beneficial to you? Is this going to help you? And he got a little annoyed at me and he said, you know, I, I, I can't, maybe you've heard this before. I can't stand Christians who over-spiritualize everything. Like, why do you got to over-spiritualize this? It's just an event. It's just a party. We're not going there. We're not going to sin. We're just going to talk to people. And we're going to just network. I need to grow my, my business. I need to meet more people to expand it. I'm not going there to sin. I said, you're absolutely right. There maybe inherently isn't anything wrong with it. But it just doesn't sit right with me. My personal conviction, and I'm not going to violate my conscience. And so we, we got off. He was upset at me. Eventually, obviously, we, I don't remember if he actually went to the party, but I do remember this. It caused a bit of like, friction between our relationship at that, that point in time. So how did two Christians, both saved by grace, both know the Lord, both striving to grow in Christ, both given the Holy Spirit, but how do we both have different convictions on the same thing? We all have the same spirit. The Holy Spirit was given to every single one of us in this room if you're a follower of Jesus. But we all have different personal convictions as you walk through your life of Christianity. You're going to bump into people that their convictions differ with yours and your convictions are going to differ with theirs. So today I want to take a look at it this morning. How do we find some sort of balance? How do we look into that in a way where maybe we can get a little more alignment with this generation on personal conviction or on convictions? I'm going to start here. It's from the book of Philippians. Paul writes, I don't know, we have the verses up yet. Um, Paul's writing to the Philippian church here. And he starts off, and he talks in the very beginning of this. He says, like, he's, he's praying for them. He's so grateful that as soon as he came, they join in this partnership with him of spreading the gospel. And now he says this, being confident of this, that he, that he is Jesus, he who began a good work in you will carry it out onto completion until the day of Christ. So there's a work going on uh, inside of all of us. Luke prayed last night. And he said that there, he can, there's a work that's identifiable in some of you. Some of you, it's just starting to happen. But the day you say yes to Jesus, the day you submit to him and, and call him Lord and call him Savior, right? That work starts to happen inside of you. There is a good work in you that starts to begin. And Jesus is the one who begins it. He begins by offering you salvation. You say yes to him. And then he starts this good work. And then he carries it out to completion until the day of Christ. If you guys aren't familiar with that term, the day of Christ, it's referred to about two or three times in the Bible. It's not the day of judgment per se, but this is the day where Jesus comes back and calls his church home, brings us back into full fellowship with him for eternity. So he's working something out until he brings us back, until this day of Christ where he returns back to gather his people, to gather his church. So the interesting thing is, Christ begins this work inside of us. And then immediately in the next chapter, he says something else, and we're going to go there. And this is what I'm going to emphasize today. Therefore, my dear friends, my dear friends of the Philippian church, have you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, you guys have been a blessing, you've been obedient in everything I've told you to do in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Now that I'm gone, don't rely on me to tell you to do things. You're going to do it on your own. Uh, continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, if you've been saved, how do you work out something that's already been done for you? Christ already paid the cost on the cross, right? We all put our faith in that. We believe that Jesus went to the cross, he died for our sins, he was resurrected on the third day, we're going re- to be with him in glory once we put our faith in that. There is nothing that stops us from getting there because once we're a part of his, once we're in his hands, nothing can snatch us from it. So then if we have nothing to do with the work, why is Paul saying now, work out your own salvation? That's a little weird right? Salvation is freely given. It's a gift. You can't earn it. So if you can't earn it, so then maybe he's not referring to the initial act of salvation, the initial salvation of your security eternity. You put your faith, there's no more condemnation now that you have faith in Christ. There's no more judgment, 
when you stand, all of us in this room are going to stand before God one day, whether or not he comes and returns or whether or not he takes us home before that. We're all going to stand. There are going to be two people before him, those who put their faith in him and those who didn't. There is no middle ground here. It's either or. So today, if you don't put your faith in him, if you haven't yet, I urge you, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. Please don't wait. Don't wait to the end of the retreat. Luke was just saying, we're in the wilderness. A bear might come and you might get mauled right in front of that lake in front of everybody. And boom, that's the end of your life. And you were given a chance to say yes to, to him. And there's a story back actually in the Old Testament where there's a bear that goes and mauls a bunch of the kids who are uh, making fun of the prophet. Um, so don't make fun of a prophet and a bear might come out of the woods here. So there's two people. There's those who are going to stand before Christ and uh, he's going to say, you're mine, come enter into my rest. And then there's going to be those who are going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Don't be one of those people. It's not worth going through life trying to wonder if you're either or. You have a certainty the moment you say yes in your heart to what he's done to know that your salvation is secure in him by faith and by faith alone. Don't make that mistake of saying no to that. Don't make my, the mistake of just struggling on going like I like we was saying, I got to try to do this my own way. I got to figure it out my own way. It doesn't work like that. So salvation here is not that salvation. We'll do a little Bible um, study here real quick. So there's a couple of terms the Bible, uh, is, salvation is used in the Bible. The first one is the one I was just referring to, eternal salvation, your eternal security. And there's a second way that salvation is sometimes used is that it's to say you're saved from some sort of harm or danger in life or your life is, is uh, protected from, from being taken. So usually referred to a lot of times in the Old Testament, God has saved uh, people from their enemies, right? And that's a form of salvation. You're being protected from uh, physical death or physical harm. And then there's a second form of salvation that's referred to the third, which would be salvation that is, now that you're saved, there's an ongoing kind of salvation. You're being saved from the sin and the wickedness of this world, but also there's a corruption of your own heart that still exists. So although you may have said yes to Jesus, there's, there's a lot of stuff inside of here that needs still to be worked out. And so you're continually being saved from what's inside of you and from what's around you outside in the world, trying to take influence and trying to, to gain a hold of who you are as a Christian, trying to take uh, control of you. And so that's the third salvation. And the last salvation is this. It's your complete salvation. Your complete salvation is similar to the first chapter where on the day where you come and stand before Christ, that you're not going to struggle to survive in this world anymore by battling against sin and the world. It's complete. Your salvation is now complete. You don't have to work for it anymore. You don't, not that you work for your salvation, but you don't have to toil and struggle with your flesh and all the corruption of this world. It's complete. It's your complete salvation. So but Jesus, uh, Paul here is not referring to your eternal salvation. He's definitely not referring to saving you from physical death or physical harm because you're not trying to work that out. And you're definitely not going to be working out your final complete salvation. So the one that he's referring to here is your salvation that takes place as if you are walking through life and you are struggling and battling against sin in the world. So it's, there's this darkness that's still inside of you that God wants to bring light to, that he's trying to work out. Another way we could look at it, another term that's used is it's not salvation, it's sanctification. And we're all, the work that's starting inside all of us is that we're being sanctified. We're being sanctified means we're being changed into greater image bearers of Christ. You and I may look like you and I on the outside and unique in the way we were created, but on the inside, in the way that we think and act and speak and all those other things, Christ is continuously trying to do a work inside of us to sanctify so that we look less like ourselves and more like him. It brings us into a deeper relationship with him. The more sanctification happens in our life, the deeper 
relationship you have with him. He starts to touch on areas of your life. He starts to speak to areas of your life. So sanctification is actually a beautiful process. It may not always be beautiful because it's painful. There's things we cling on to. And the reason it's painful because the things that we cling on to that he's trying to touch on are things that we still hold valuable, still find purpose in, and still find enjoyment in. These are the things in our life that we want to cling on to. And he's like, no, I want to work on some of those things. I want to bring some of those things out so that they no longer exist and have control over you. I want to work on them. I want to sanctify them. I want to cleanse you of them so it is more about me and less about you. So what is the term work out your own salvation? So work out in that biblical context, the literal meaning for work out is to bring continually to work to bring something to completion or fruition. So now you have this kind of part to play in your sanctification and your salvation as you're walking it throughout through your life. You work out your own salvation, he says. First, he says, God began the good work in you. Wait, but now that salvation is placed inside of you, now that the seed of eternity is being placed inside of you, you have to go and work that out. You have a responsibility now. Now that he starts to touch on things in your life, you have a responsibility to respond to them. And so part of our sanctification process is not only this, it's to move us further away from sin and darkness and move us into his glory, into his holiness. It's to bring us from darkness to light. That's what Christ does. When he first calls you, he brings you from darkness and he brings you into light. So whatever you were struggling with, he's bringing you from that darkness and he's bringing you into light And so he's going to continuously do is that there's sin still that you may be struggling in your life and he's trying to bring light to it so that you could find freedom from it. And so that you can also, the thing that he wants you to do is not just to bring you from darkness to light, to holiness. He wants to keep you in his holiness. Sanctification is to keep you in holiness. It's so that you would stay in his holiness, that you would abide in his holiness and then you would live holiness out you would be an image bearer of Christ because he's holy. And so he's asking us to be holy. But this is what happens with us as Christians at times. I'm, I'm in darkness. He calls me out to light. Praise God, hallelujah, I'm serving him. But then now, there's this gray area that kind of we fall in between on. And that's what the main focus I want to talk about to you this morning. This gray area that kind of, you know what, let's do this. This is how it, it first came about in my own life. Back when I um, first started working at the church, I was in uh, working in security. I was given a position in security in the church. And the position that was offered to me was an overnight security position. So maybe the first few months, I've never done overnight position, period. So just the fact that trying to stay awake was, was brutal. Um, trying to eight hours just straight through the night. And then I had, at that point, I only had two kids, but coming home and trying to tend to the kids, my, my whole equilibrium, everything was just thrown out of whack. And so the only thing way that I could kind of try to find a way to combat it was we were allowed to either have like a laptop, an iPad out to try to, you know, if you needed to just, you wanted to watch something, you want to work on something, you can do that while you were monitoring, monitoring the screens there to make sure that the building was secure. So in the early days, and maybe the first few months, I would have something there. I was watching a documentary on something just to kind of keep me awake or else I was going to fall asleep at the desk and, and who knows what could happen. There could have been somebody sneaking into the building and having a field day and I would have no clue about it. But So I would watch certain things. And then one night, I just felt the Lord press upon me. You could keep watching this stuff or you could shut it off and spend time with me. So I said, okay, Lord. I haven't really thought about the fact that you could sustain me through the night, right? I was relying on some sort of entertainment to kind of keep me awake, but you're God. Like, you have the capability of keeping me awake through the night. And so I I accepted the Lord's conviction, and I said, okay, I'm going to shut this off, and I'm going to spend time with the Lord. And let me be honest with you. Till this day, it was some of the sweetest moments I've ever had with him in my life. 
I had an hour to do rounds in the building where we walked around and just made sure the building was secure. And then an hour in the morning when the early people, the early shift people would show up. So I had a six hour period in between to spend with the Lord. So I spent it in my word. I spent it in prayer. I would get prayer cards on Tuesday night sometimes and I'm doing my rounds and I get to my desk and I'd be praying over them. And I would be just so engulfed like in his presence. Like I, I never had in my entire life felt the presence of God in that way. I was communing with him in such a manner that like I, I, I didn't want anything else. But God wasn't saying what I was watching was inherently bad. It was just that what I was doing with my time wasn't really good for, him, for my own walk for him. So God wants to bring light. That was a gray area of my life, right? So part of working our own salvation is bringing light into our gray areas and saying whether or not they're beneficial for us. So he starts to agree. The closer you draw close to the Lord, he starts to touch on these things in your life. Like he starts to touch, not only on sin, but he starts to address like a thing like that. Like is watching a show instead of spending time with me more beneficial to your life? And the answer was no for me. So what's the gray? I might push some buttons here this morning. The gray is this. The gray are things that we've created that aren't specifically addressed in the Bible. These are things throughout history. Now, every person throughout history has struggled in some gray area. Right now, we may think of it as entertainment, social media, um, a variety of other maybe issues, video games, let's say, uh, tattoos, piercing, practicing yoga right? Doing things like that. What clothes you wear. All of these things are like gray areas that we've created. And many times what we do is we separate those from God. We keep them as our gray area. They belong to us. And so it doesn't really matter. Like I was saying, throughout history, there's always been gray areas. One of uh, most influential uh, Pastors, he was all the way back from the 1700s. His name is Robert McChaney, and he was a phenomenal, gifted man of God. The most, the, the, what we have recorded of him is his biography, but most of his biography is based on his diary. And this man was a pastor at 19, and he passed away at 28 years old. So, in that nine year span of his life, if you would read his diary and see the convictions that he had, it would blow your mind. And one of his convictions that most of us would laugh at is that he founded eventually, this was a gray area in his life, he found playing cards was the thing that he needed to walk away from. Like it wasn't suitable. It wasn't the gambling part that a lot of people can get caught up in playing cards. It was just the act of playing cards. It did something inside of him. Now you live in the 1700s, you have different entertainment things and playing cards was one of those things you went down to the local uh, hangout spot pub or whatever it is and people played cards and that was their way to, to a form of entertainment and so for him he knew that there was something that playing cards drew out of him and there's part of his diary he said he got home he says I'm so like I, I want to get rid of this thing it's so evil in my life and he doesn't really allude hundred percent to what it really brought out of him but he knew it was something that was not good Jesus addressed gray areas, and he addressed it in a different way. He addressed it to a generation that was following the law to the T. They were religious people. They followed the moral law, and they did it excellent. But the gray areas of our life are not only to address the things that maybe God is speaking to. It really speaks volumes to what our heart says. So he went and he came, and this is one of the things that he pokes on the most. He says this. He comes and says, if you're a married man and you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you've already committed adultery. So he says to these Pharisees, you practice the law, you do it fully and completely, you've added extras to it, and you do it excellently. But guess what? You've had this gray area that's not, the Bible doesn't speak about, right? That if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And so a lot of the times this gray area that we create speaks to what's really going on in our heart. I can be the most upright religious person ever, but if I got something inside of my heart Jesus is trying to address, 
That's the thing that he wants to get a hold of. We can have outward appearance of looking holy and right, but we have things that we hide from people in this world. We hide from the body of Christ. We hide from the church. We don't let God in because we think they belong to us. You think those areas belong to us. You think entertainment belongs to you. You think the way you dress belongs to you. You think your body belongs to you so I can outfit it with as many tattoos as I want. And I'm not trying to dictate and tell you what to do and what is right and wrong. I just want to speak this morning to getting us to a place of how do we view it? Because in reality, if you surrender to Christ, none of it belongs to you. Nothing. It all belongs to Jesus. What you do with your life belongs with him. What you look at, what you hear, what you put on, it all belongs to him. And so when we say to Jesus, I don't want you touching that, he's like, no, I want your heart. Let me have all of you. Don't hold back. Just because the Bible doesn't speak about them, it doesn't mean that God's not concerned with them. He's absolutely concerned about everything in your life. Why would he go to the cross to pay for your sins and die for you if he wasn't completely concerned about every complete thing, in the fullness of your life, every area, every detail? So when we take a minute right, to think about this, just because of the gray area, we create gray areas because they're not spoken of directly in the Bible. So we have a tendency, human nature does this. We want to separate it because it's good to stay in a gray place. So we do that. We create gray areas. But in reality, God is this. There is no gray. There's just holy. You get into God's presence, there is no gray. God is just holy. And he says, you, you need to be holy. There is no gray. It's either darkness or holiness. Don't get caught up in the gray. So, so maybe you're going to argue with me. I've heard this a lot of times, counseling friends over the years. They're like, come on, man, I grew, maybe you came out of a legalistic church. Maybe you grew up in legalism. This sounds a lot like legalism, man. Don't tell me how to dress. Don't tell me what I could put on my body. Don't tell me what to listen to. Don't tell me, you know, what I could watch. Don't tell me what I should do in my free time. Like, that's, that's legalism. Like, we're free in Christ. Absolutely, you're free. You are not under the law. The law produces death. You are now under the law of grace and love. But Paul, this, that argument is not new, right? You're free, but Paul says to the Corinthian church, he actually says it in two spots. In the first uh, letter to the Corinthians in chapter 6 and chapter 10, he says this, and I love this. He goes, this is chapter 6, verse 12. I have the right to do anything, you say. So there must have been a group of people that were going around and claiming, I am free in Christ. I'm not condemned by anything that I do. I found freedom in Christ, so you have no right to say anything to me. So Paul says this, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Chapter 10, 23, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. So he has to repeat it twice and give emphasis. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. So you have new liberty in Christ, but that new liberty does not always lead to things that are beneficial in our lives. So I'm free. Yes, I'm free in Christ. I can do all these things. But is it beneficial to me? Does it build me up? Does it help me grow closer to what Jesus has for my life? Is it going to master me? And the lie that we tell ourselves sometimes is, okay, the Bible doesn't specifically speak about this as being sin, but you know how many things in what we consider gray master people? You know how many people are consumed by watching shows hours and hours and hours? I got to binge watch this show. I got to play video games for three, four, five, six, seven, eight hours. But I'm not consumed by it. Come on, man, I'm just having fun. Don't tell me what to do. I'm free in the Lord. But I'm free. But I will not be mastered by anything. We only have one master in this world. His name is Jesus. That's the only thing you're mastered by in this world is Christ. If you think that you're in the gray and it's starting to get a control over your life, it's already starting to master you. 
So this applies to those things that are indifferent. We need to apply proper judgment to our gray area. So you have freedom in Christ. And I praise God for that. We all have freedom in Christ in this room. But our freedom, we're urged in the word, is that our freedom is a new life, but it's only a blessing when we exercise our freedom under the authority of Christ. It's not really freedom if you're still being subjugated to the rule of it. So if it's mastering you, then you're not really free. You bought the lie that you're free. If you're mastered by something today and you're walking around thinking you have freedom, you're not. You're in bondage. Christ came to set you free. And real freedom only exists under his care and under his love. So how do we judge our gray area? First, you have to have a certain heart posture. You have to be able to say to yourself, God, I want to give you everything. I don't want a piece of my life not to be you to be invested in. Everything belongs to you. Everything. From where I head in life with my career, whether or not you're in school and where you're going in that, whatever it may be, God, you have it all. You, I give it all to you. It belongs to you. My life is not found in me anymore. It's found in Christ. So nothing belongs to me, Lord. Help me. Help me to surrender it all to you. And then you have to ask yourself, how do you approach your gray areas when you're confronted with them or you're already in them? I can tell you this from experience and from, again, just having conversations with people. If you're already starting off with this in your head, it's not really sin. It's not sin. If this is not sin, it's not really harming anyone. So if it's not harming anyone, then leave it alone. Or do you ask yourself this when you're approached in the gray and, and you start to question whether or not this is something you should do? Does this please God? Does it bring him glory? If you're met, you're asking yourself, is it sin or saying it's not sin? What happens is it becomes justifiable and you allow it to remain in your life. Well, it's not sin, so why do I need to remove it from my life? And so you keep it there. And so you let it remain and it becomes just a part of who you are. So it's easier, what that does in our lives, it becomes easier to just do the bare minimum in Christianity. So, God, I'll give you bits and pieces of my life and these other things, these things you can't keep. When I get home from Sunday and I'm serving all day and I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best to, to, to work, uh, good works out and, and touch people's lives and I get home and, oh, man, I want to relax now and put my feet up and I just want to veg out on a show. You can't tell me maybe you've never done that before because I have. I've gotten home after a day of ministry and then I'm just like, boom, I want to I wanna just veg out and just watch a bunch of stuff. But I never actually invited God into that stuff. So I invited him to the first half of my day. God, come help me. I need you. I need you so that I could walk out and be a blessing to people. But when I got home, okay, Lord, that was you there. This is me time now. And how many times do we justify saying it's me time? This is me time. And sometimes the inability to sometimes even define what the gray area in our life or the desire to even step out, it just shows the depths of our weakness and the need for the, his power in, the, in all things in our life. There sometimes is this inability that we can't even see that there's something he's trying to speak to and it's maybe not sin, but he's still trying to address it. And it just shows you our profound weakness that we still have and our desperation for a need of the hope that we need to cling on to in him, that he's going to be the one to be able to help us. So on the contrary, if you ask yourself this, does this please God or does this glorify him? So that comes from a different heart cry. That comes from a heart cry that says, God, I want you in all areas of my life. I don't want to hold anything back. It all belongs to you. So God, if this doesn't please you, I don't want it in my life. If this doesn't glorify you, God, I don't, uh, I don't want it to belong in this area. So God, take it. Remove it. Because I want to look more like you. I want to be more like you. You're everything to me. I have freedom, Lord. But let me use my freedom to glorify you. So Paul argues in the same letter to the Corinthian church this. He's talking about food to idols. But he ends it with this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all 
do it all. That's a tough statement. I don't think most of us in this room, and I'm not trying to judge here, but I don't think most of us live that way. I don't think we wake up in the morning and we go, God, I want to do everything today that would glorify you. God, when I wake up, every word that comes out of my mouth, every action that I do, everything that I have before my day, God, let it glorify you. It all belongs to you. God, I want it to glorify you. Many times we just wake up and we pray, God, bless my day. I have this, this, and this. Would you just touch it? Would you bless it? You know my needs. And then you step out. And then you walk out and the glory of God is less in back of your mind than you should be at the forefront of your mind. So we need to filter everything through God's glory and then find out what remains pure. Filter everything through God's glory. Does the things I watch, let me filter it through his glory. Does it come out pure? The things I'm listening to, let me filter it through his glory. Does it come out pure? The things I wanna put on my body, let me filter it through the glory. Will it come out pure? Am I doing it for the right motivation? Am I doing it to glorify him? Am I doing it that his name would be known? Am I doing it because it pleases him? You need to filter everything through his glory. Every single time. Give thought to that. Say, God, does this glorify you? If you're free in the Lord, you've got to let your freedom glorify him in all areas. Don't say this belongs to me. Don't say I own any of it. This is what you think. You think you're going to lose something. The most you'll lose is more of yourself and gain more of him. Think about that. You got pretty things inside of you. I don't. I got a lot of ugly things inside of me. And the more I lose more of myself, the more I end up looking like Jesus. And that's all I want to ever live for. And he, Jesus himself says this. Those who try to cling to their own life, you're going to lose it. But those who lose their life for my sake will find it. You want to find your life? Find it in Christ by losing your own life. Stop clinging on to what you think has worth and value because it belongs to you. And I'm going to start to end with this. This is the second way to judge the gray area. We need to take into consideration. We're all called as Christians. The first moment you become a Christian is a work that starts in your life. And part of that work that begins in your life is that you no longer live for yourself. You start to live for others. You start to live in a way that my life is not as valuable as the person sitting next to me. So is the what, what I'm doing in my life, is it going to benefit? Is it going to edify or help my brother or sister? Paul addresses this again in that same chapter, in that same letter, in the eighth chapter. He talks about a person who has knowledge of eating food to idols. And he says, you may know that that idol is not real. And so if you eat food to it, it doesn't really bother your conscience. But there are some that are who are immature in their faith, and they still think that idol is a god. And so when they eat food to it, they think they're actually eating a food sacrificed to a real god. So now if you go and you start to eat food and you may not believe that that idol is a God, if you're eating in front of the weaker person, you've, you've corrupted his conscience. You didn't help him grow. Now he thinks it's okay because you are doing it. Are you edifying your brother and sister with the things that you're doing? You should need to be more concerned. He ends that statement by saying, he says that if I, I would rather not eat meat lest I, take, lest I might make my brother stumble. I'd rather not eat any meat anymore because I care more about my brother than I do about myself. So when Luke was addressing the dress code here, that's not because we want to put constraints on you for the sake of putting constraints. No, we want to help you not make somebody else stumble in the room, male or female. That's the goal. And you shouldn't argue and go, oh, come on, man. Like, that's, that's not fair. I get to dress however I want. Well, if you're a Christian, it's not about you anymore. It's about your brother or sister. That's who you care about. That's who you're concerned with. You are called, and if you're a more mature believer in this room, you are called, Paul says, to edify and build up the weaker believer in faith. So now, I oversee one of the ministries at our church, um, New Hope. And in New Hope uh, deals with a lot of people in homelessness. 
Um, and with dealing with people in homelessness, and we deal also with people suffering and battling through addictions. And so, you know, I, I don't have, I don't believe biblically there's in, anything inherently wrong with drinking. It's just about drinking too much that leads to drunkenness, the Bible talks about, right? But because of the people that I work with, I couldn't allow them to see me drinking because I know that they're under the bondage of addiction, struggling through it. So now if they happen to walk by and see me in a bar drinking, they're going to go, wait, he's a strong believer and he's having a drink. So guess what? Maybe I should go and have, sit down and join him and have a drink too. Why? Because maybe there's nothing really wrong with it because he doesn't have a conviction about it. But I'd rather give up drinking for the sake of my brothers so that they would grow and be edified. It doesn't mean anything to me because it doesn't belong to me anymore. It doesn't belong to you. You're called to edify and build each other up. That's what the real church looks like. That's what the early church did. Nothing belonged to anybody. Nothing. They cared more about the concerns of their fellow brother and sister than they did of their own. So we're encouraged. Does your convictions, does your personal convictions, that the things that you're doing, does it edify, does it edify your brother and sister? Does it help them grow? Are you asking them to join you to watch something that's not pleasing to the Lord or that doesn't benefit you? Are you asking them to go out with you? My brother didn't know, right? He knew bits of my struggle and the story that I shared in the beginning. But if he, and look, we all make mistakes, but if he in right judgment knew my past by inviting me in my weaker area of my life to participate in a party that would not edify me, he was thinking more about himself than he was about his brother. He was saying, this party makes more, it edifies me in growing who I want to be, as opposed to, you know what, it might make my brother stumble. I shouldn't go there. I don't want him to even know I would step foot in a place like that because it might cause him to stumble. And I love him more than I love myself. You can't outdo Christ. Christ is sacrificed as he gave himself for us. And so don't try to outdo Christ. You can't outdo him. He gave himself for us. You give yourself for your brother or sister. And so I'm going to close with this. I don't know if we have that verse up there, but it's the second, it's the verse right after um, Philippians 2.12. It's Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God gives you and offers you the gift of salvation. He begins a good work inside of you. He now begins to touch on areas of your life. And he starts to bring this completion. He's the beginner. He's the author, the perfecter, and the finisher of your faith. But the working out part is this. is that he's going to touch on things in your life things that seem insignificant, things that you don't want to give up. And that working out part is surrendering it to him. That's the working out part. You can't do it on your own. You're not called to do it on your own. You're promised that he's going to help you through each and every step. But if he points at something in your life, his, his ask of you is that you would do this, whatever it may be, that you would just go before him, go, God, does this glorify you? Okay, it doesn't glorify you. Does it please you? It doesn't please you. Then God, help me. Help me surrender to you. That's you working it out. That's the smallest part you play in working out your salvation. But he gets the glory for all of it because he plans to see the salvation in your heart. He starts to begin the work. He starts to work it through by sanctification. And then he completes the work. It has nothing to do with you. It's all Jesus. The only thing he asks you to do is when he speaks to something, surrender it. When he speaks to something, don't say no. Don't avoid it. Listen. Be obedient. Say, yes, Lord, you could have it all. So I want to just charge you with this. As you go throughout the rest of this weekend, just think about it. We all have gray areas. I still have some in my life that God's dealing with. And I was sharing this with a sister yesterday. One of the things is, and I was talking about watching shows, and I've cut pretty much everything out of my life. But I've always been fascinated with like people, uh, murder kind of stories. I know it's weird, but like serial killers and how they get to that place 
right? I used to like read books like this and then watch series that are dedicated to like the, the solving of these crimes. And I was like, oh, it's fascinating. One day my wife says to me, like, why do you watch this stuff? I'm like, it's fascinating. I just like, I like to get inside the heads of these people sometimes. She's like, how does this glorify God? How does it glorify God? What does it do for you? Except bring light to the sin that they've committed in this world. They're a serial killer. Does that serial killer act, whether or not they got caught, getting into their head is getting into darkness. You don't belong there, Justin. And so when I walked, I went to, I went to my, um, I went to my Netflix account and I saw one of the things pop up and I said, so tempted. I said, okay, Lord, this is yours. I don't want to get into the darkness of somebody else's mind. I don't belong there. You're not there. So if you're not there, I don't want to be there. Let me be in light. Let me watch. If I got to watch animal shows all the time, I'll watch animal shows all the time. No, there's amazing animals in this world. God gets glory in that. He created it all. I watch monkeys jump around for two hours. Praise God. He gets glory for that. Whatever it is, you're great. Things that you haven't surrendered, maybe God's touched on in your life, and you're like, man, this ain't a big deal. This isn't doing anything. It's not harming anyone. What does it glorify him? Is he there with you in it? Does it please you? If it doesn't, let it go. You don't lose anything, and really don't. You only gain more of him. The world needs to see Christians who live like Christians. You're called to be holy for a reason. And holiness is so that you look like Jesus. You don't walk around looking like partial Jesus and then the rest of you is still teetering in and out of this world. The world, as much as holiness does this, does one of two things. It's either gonna draw people to you because of the life of holiness or it's gonna push people away. It doesn't matter which one of those people you encounter, all that you're called to do is live out a life of holiness. You're not to be concerned whether or not it attracts or repels. That's not your business. Your business is to say, I want to live holy. God, you can have it all. Take my sin, take my grade, take it all. It all belongs to you. It's yours. So this morning, take time over these next, this day, tomorrow, just say, God, what is it in my life that doesn't glorify you? What haven't I given you? What needs to be given up to you so that I can reside more in holiness? I don't want to step out of it. I want to be completely in you and in everything that you have for me. I want my life, my life to glorify you. I want my life to glorify you. So if God is, is that something he's touching in your heart right now? I just want to pray with you. Father, I thank you. You've been so faithful to all of us in this room, Lord. We sit here, Lord, this morning because of your faithfulness. You were faithful to save us. You were faithful to start a work in our life. You're faithful to start to bring out that, that work that you're doing, Lord, to sanctify us. And you're faithful, God, to bring it to completion. And so, God, there's areas of our life, God, there's areas of my life, there's areas of everyone in this room, their life, oh God, that it doesn't belong to you. There's areas that we left you out of. There's areas that we don't filter it through your glory to find that out whether or not it's going to come out pure on the other side. Help us, Lord God. Help us to surrender to you, God. Help us that we would grow and look more and more like you every single day us to be the Christians you've called us to be. God, the world needs to see Christians, real Christians, oh God, not Christians are doing everything else that they are doing, Lord. We're called to be set apart. We're called to be holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You're holy, Lord. Help us to be holy. We praise you today. I thank you, Lord, for each and every person in this room, oh God. 
I thank you for what you're doing in their hearts right now. God, I thank you for what you're going to do in their hearts over this weekend. God, I pray that when they come out of this weekend, God, it wasn't just fun that they had. God, it was transformation. It was real transformation, God, that's going to last a lifetime. Appreciate it. We thank you for your work, Lord, because you get the glory in the end for everything that you do in our lives. You get the glory. In Jesus' name, I ask this. Amen. Let's do this before we wrap up today. Um, that was such a good word. Oh, my goodness. There were so many powerful thoughts in that um but you know when you think about it like obviously the world's idea of holiness is just like misery it's just not doing all of the things that you would rather be doing and in light of everything that we've spoken about the last couple of days on one hand that's true but on the other hand that's such a lie because it is dying to ourselves but you don't just die to yourself so that you could be dead you die so that you could have his life and so really what holiness is, it's trading lower empty pleasures for the fullness of joy that comes in his presence and his will for our lives. And so as you're sitting here and you're hearing this, the beautiful thing is God isn't like, all right, get your life figured out, investigate all of the things, and you're not going to have me until you uproot everything that might be wrong. He's like, no, my job is I show you the stuff that's blocking you from me. I show you the things you've been settling for and living still in control of your life and how it's keeping you stuck. Sure, it feels good, but it's keeping you from what you were made for. It's keeping you from the fullness of the life that I have for you. And so holiness, there's a verse where it says, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. It's like holiness is life. And so today, we just wanna give you guys an opportunity. If you, in hearing that, there's things that some, something in your life God's highlighting. It's the Holy Spirit who's convicting you and speaking to you and saying, this thing that you're settling for and just this pattern of your life, you're indulging in it, and this is keeping you from the fullness of what I have for you. That verse, it's him, another translation. It says, he gives us the desire and the power to live the life he's called us to live. And so again, everything we spoke about last night, God's not like, make yourself holy. He says, bring me your sin and I'll make you holy. Own your sin today, bring it to me, and I will trade you your rags for my riches. And so if God is doing something in your heart, there's something that he's highlighting that you just want to say, God, I know that I can't even really change this thing, but I want you here. Take this part of my, my life. There's a song that Pedro wrote that he's about to just sing over us right now. And it says, it's called um, Throne of My Heart. It's like, God... I have been living on the throne of my heart in this area, but now you come. Take the throne here. I want you. Um, I want to give everybody an opportunity to do that right now. So you could stay seated. But as he begins to just sing this over us, um, let's just take, if there's anything God's highlighting and convicting you about in your life, to say, Jesus, I'm not just trying to fit you into my world. You are my world. And I want you to rearrange this thing to what it needs to be. So this thing you're highlighting, I confess it. It's sin, it's me just being my own God, and I give it to you. Come now and fill me and change me. So he's going to sing this, but you've got to get in your heart and make some, let's do business with God right now. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. To connect with us, visit our ministry page at brooklyntabernacle.org or you can follow us on our Instagram at SanctusNYC.